Have you noticed over the past several years that more and more people are looking for a radical cause uh, to be a part of? Something radical, something different, uh, something that sets them apart uh, from everyone else. And there are many radical causes vying uh, for people's attention today. Uh, there's radical Islam, for example, which demands absolute commitment from its followers. Uh, you find radical causes on both extremes of the political spectrum here in America. And then we have the resurgence of communism, which is uh, kind of alarming. <clears throat> and of course, within communism, they demand an extreme degree of commitment from its members. So a lot of radical causes out there, um, for example, in communism and in some of these other groups, there's a special interest in young people who perhaps more than any other age group are looking for a radical cause to commit to. So again, a lot of causes vying for attention out there, but our purpose today is to more fully understand the most radical of all causes, a righteous cause, a holy cause, the most worthwhile of all causes, infinitely so, and that is the cause of being a radical follower or disciple of Jesus Christ. Now we actually talk quite a bit about being a follower or a disciple of Jesus here at Crossview, but what really is a disciple? And I want you thinking about the question as we move through this message here today, am I a disciple? So be thinking about that, meditating on that. Two extremely important questions we will seek to answer this morning. So let's begin by seeking to answer the question, what is a disciple? Now, your initial thoughts might be, well, I thought disciples were only found in the first century church. Or you might be thinking, I thought a disciple was just a special category of Christian. And while some of us may think these things, the truth is, is that all disciples are Christians and all Christians are disciples. In fact, the two terms are synonymous in the book of Acts. So join with me in turning to a couple of passages in the book of Acts. Actually, it's up on the screen. Acts chapter 6, beginning in verses 1 and 2. In those days, as the disciples were increasing in number, notice it says the disciples, believers, were increasing in number, there arose a complaint by the Hellenistic Jews against the Hebraic Jews that their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution. The twelve summoned the whole company of the disciples and said, it would not be right for us to give up preaching the word of God to wait on tables. And so we notice here that the 12, the apostles, the disciples, uh, they summoned the whole company of disciples, the rest of the followers, the rest of the believers in Jesus. And then it says down in verse seven, they solved the problem. It says, so the word of God spread the disciples in Jerusalem increased greatly in number, that is, those believing in and receiving Jesus Christ as their Savior and Lord, and a large group of priests became obedient to the faith. And then there's Acts chapter 11, verses 25 and 26. There we read, Then he, Barnabas, went to Tarsus to search for Saul, and when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. For a whole year they met with the church, and taught large numbers. The disciples were first called Christians at Antioch. And so up to this point, believers in Jesus were called disciples. 
But here in Antioch now we find disciples being identified as Christians. And so we would come to the conclusion then that all of us here this morning or who are watching by live stream uh, who are Christians are disciples of Jesus. So did you realize that if you're in Christ, you're a disciple of Jesus here this morning as the Bible defines it? And then to get even more precise in answering the question, what is a disciple? We need to define this word disciple. What does that mean? What is a disciple? Well, first of all, we find biblically that a disciple is a learner. A disciple is a learner. A disciple is a pupil. And I find that really interesting as I thought about it this week because there's an initial focus on the mind here. Our culture has really minimized the importance of deep thought, of deep thinking. But a disciple is a thinker. A disciple is a learner. So don't buy the idea that Christianity is somehow anti-intellectual because it's not. It's not solely intellectual, but it involves the heart as well. But don't buy that false idea that Christianity is anti-intellectual. We must think and think deeply about the great and eternal truths of Scripture. Loving the Lord our God with all of our mind, right? Now, in the first century, many teachers had, uh, many teachers had disciples, not just in Christianity. Uh, the Pharisees had disciples. Uh, the rabbis had disciples. Saul, as he was known then, was a disciple of Gamaliel. Uh, the Greek philosophers at that time had disciples. Plato was a disciple of Socrates. Aristotle was a disciple of Plato, sitting at the feet of their teachers. In the same way, Jesus' disciples sat at his feet and learned from his marvelous teaching. Now, of course, we don't have the privilege of being in Jesus' physical presence, but we can spiritually sit at the feet of Jesus as his disciples, learning of him as he speaks to us through his word. J.I. Packer said in his book, Knowing God, Jesus' way of speaking to us now is not by uttering fresh words, but rather by applying to our consciences these words of his that are recorded in the Gospels together with the rest of the biblical testimony to himself. But knowing Jesus still remains as definite a relation of personal discipleship as it was for the twelve when he was on earth. The Jesus who walks through the gospel story walks with Christians now, and knowing him involves going with him now as then. Jesus said, My sheep listen to my voice. I know them, and they follow me. And so we are learners of Jesus today, just as the first century disciples were. But not only are we learners of Jesus as his disciples, we are his followers as well. So a disciple is a learner and a disciple is a follower. Again, we just read in John 10, 27, Jesus says, my sheep hear my voice, I know them, and they follow me. Our daily privilege as Jesus' disciples is to follow him on the path of discipleship, learning of him, spending time in his presence, speaking him to him in prayer. As I was studying uh, this week, somebody, uh, a quote that I read said, 
Jesus leads, we follow. Jesus leads, we follow. Does that describe your relationship to Jesus this morning? Is he leading you and are you following him? But in following Jesus, we must be committed as his disciples to a life of obedience. A true disciple is an obedient disciple. And we see that in Jesus' great commission in Matthew 28 and verse 20, where Jesus says that as we go and make disciples, we are to teach them to observe or to obey everything I have commanded you. Teach them, Jesus says, to obey everything I command you. And this is so important for many reasons. Because as we walk with Jesus, as his obedient disciples, we then remain in fellowship with him. There's a passage that's not on the slides that I want to read. It's in the Gospel of John, chapter 15, and verses 9 through 12. And this is what Jesus says. Jesus says, as the Father has loved me, I also have loved you. Remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you these things so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be complete. And so we experience the joy of the Lord as his disciples as we walk with him in obedience. That's where true joy is found, as we follow Jesus as his disciple, as we walk with him in radical obedience. But it is completely inconsistent for us to call Jesus our Lord if we're not obeying his word. Completely inconsistent. In Luke chapter 6 and verse 46, Jesus asks a question that never fails to convict me. This question of Jesus always cuts me straight to the heart, and this is, what, this is the question he asked. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and don't do the things I say? You hear him asking you that question? Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and don't do the things I say? And so that, that question just cuts right to the heart. And so again, the point here is that it is totally inconsistent to call Jesus Lord if we're not consistently obeying his word. Now, that doesn't mean we're going to obey perfectly. None of us do. We all fall short of the glory of God, sinning and falling short of the glory of God. So we don't, um, we're not walking in perfection as Christ's disciples. It's not possible to do so this side of glory. But our lives should consist of obedience, consistent obedience. Our lives should be characterized as obedience, uh, by obedience as Christ's disciples. John makes a similar point in the book of 1 John. So I turn towards the back of the New Testament, 1 John. And the first passage I'm going to read is in chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. John writes, This is how we know that we know him if we keep his commands. So there's a test. How do I know that I know the Lord? How do I know that I'm in Christ? How do I know that I'm a believer, that I'm a disciple? Well, Jesus says here, if we keep his commands. Again, not perfection, but a life that is characterized by obedience to his word. And then verse 4 says, The one who says, I have come to know him 
and yet doesn't keep his commands is a liar. That's pretty strong, isn't it? And the truth is not in him. It's not my words, it's John's. John says, you know, again here he says, if you say that you've come to know him and yet your life is characterized by disobedience to his word, then John says, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, that we're liars. We get similar thought in chapter 3 and verse 7. John writes here, Children, sons and daughters of God, let no one deceive you. The one who does what is right is righteous just as he is righteous. The one who commits sin, that should be translated the one who practices sin or whose life is characterized by sin, is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. The Son of Man was revealed for this purpose, to destroy the devil's works. Everyone who has been born of God does not sin. Again, does not practice sin, because his seed remains in him. He's not able to continue to live a life of sin because he has been born of God. This is how God's children and the devil's children become obvious. Whoever does not do what is right is not of God, especially the one who does not love his brother or sister. And so, challenging passages of Scripture. But this just emphasizes the fact that this radical call to discipleship is a radical call to obedience. But not only are we to be obedient disciples in following Jesus, we must also count the cost in following him. Jesus calls us to count the cost. The New Testament consistently teaches that there's a cost in following Jesus as his disciple. Our salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. We stand upon that solid rock, but there is then a cost in following Jesus as his disciples. Jesus said to his disciples in Matthew 16 and verse 24, If anyone wants to follow me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, daily, as it says in Luke, and follow me. So Jesus says, first of all here, if anyone wants to follow after me, let him deny himself. Now, at its very most basic sense, to deny ourselves means basically that we're saying no to ourselves. We're saying no to ourselves. And first of all, it involves giving up all of our reliance on ourselves or our good works to gain acceptance before God. So first and foremost, to deny ourselves is to to initially come to Jesus, not resting on our own good works, not resting on anything in and of ourselves, but by resting in him by faith for our salvation. But then as we continue to follow Jesus, we must, in the words of Paul, die daily. Now, we know that Paul didn't die physically every day, so what does he mean by that? Well, to die daily, in Paul's words here, meant that he died daily to his own agenda. He died to his own self-interest. And he was committed to living a life in humble submission to Jesus and his will for our lives. And that would include as well putting the interest of others before ourselves. But if denying ourselves speaks basically of saying no to ourselves, then to take up our cross means saying yes to Jesus no matter what it might cost us. That's the radical obedience that Jesus calls us to, to take up our cross, that we're going to say yes to Jesus no matter what it might cost us, even if it takes us as Americans out of our comfort zone. 
I might mean, for example, here in America, that we stand for Jesus and confess his name, even if it means we might receive ridicule or rejection or even isolation. It might mean willingly sacrificing our time, our money, our convenience, or our leisure time for Jesus' sake and for others. It might even be as simple as being willing to have our schedules interrupted, sometimes with a divine appointment uh, from the Lord. But for our persecuted brothers and sisters around the world, the cost of following Jesus is often much more steep. As I look at at magazines such as Voice of the Martyrs, I read this week about uh, in North Korea, uh, security guards broke into a secret worship gathering. They They were worshiping in hiding, but these security officials found them out and went there and executed every single Christian that was gathered there for worship. That's the cost of following Jesus. In Nepal, Buddhists burned down a man's house because he was a bold witness for Jesus Christ. And now Voices of the Martyrs is helping him to rebuild and and, uh, replacing everything, including his precious Bible. Many of our brothers and sisters this morning, at this very moment, are languishing in prisons around the world, undergoing unspeakable torture, undergoing unspeakable suffering because of their faith, because of their commitment to Jesus Christ. And so they are paying a terrible price for being followers of Jesus. And yet they realize that there's a cost in following him and they remain faithful to him by the grace of God. We need to pray for our brothers and sisters around the world. We need to remember them and we need to support them in any way we can. And so there is a cost for all true followers of Jesus. And that path of discipleship is going to look different for each one of us. As we talk about this idea of being a disciple here, we're not talking about cookie-cutter disciples. We're not talking about robotic disciples who all say the same thing and look the same way and do the same things and so on. Rather, how we live out our lives of discipleship depends upon what Jesus is calling us to as individuals. So this is between you and him. He's calling you to a radical life of discipleship. And so you need to come to him and seek him and see what he's calling you to. Ultimately, it's between you and him. So denying ourselves and taking up our cross and following Jesus doesn't mean that we're all supposed to quit our jobs and and go off to the mission field in Nepal or or wherever, Bangladesh or whatever it's called. Although some of you or a few of you might receive that calling from the Lord. But that doesn't mean that all of us are supposed to do that thing. In fact, for the vast majority of us, Jesus calls us to live out our discipleship right where we are. In our lives, as we live day by day, living as faithful disciples for the Lord, whatever your, call, whatever your vocation is, whatever your job might be, whatever you do on a day-to-day basis. So whether you're a junior high, high school, or college student, or whether you're a teacher or worker or administrator in the schools, whether you're a doctor or a lawyer or a stay-at-home mom or a farmer or a mechanic or even a politician, uh, Jesus commands us to deny ourselves, to take up our cross, and to follow him. 
we are all called to represent him well in our sphere of influence with integrity, with the heart of a servant, with humility, in love, speaking the truth in love. We must speak truth into this culture that is absolutely saturated with lies. And if this culture isn't going to hear the truth from us, then then who are they going to hear the truth from? And so we need to be willing to pay the price of speaking truth, even when it might hurt a little bit, even when it might mean some sort of rejection or something like that. And then most of all, we must boldly stand for Jesus and the gospel, no matter what it might cost us. We can't shrink back and cower and, and, and not say anything when it might mean some sort of cost to us, like someone might not like what we say or uh, they might reject us or uh, they might not treat us the same way anymore. We must be willing to stand for Jesus and the gospel no matter what the cost might be. And so having answered the question, what is a disciple? And we could say more. But having answered that question now, we all need to be asking ourselves a second question. And that is, am I a disciple? Am I a disciple? And since we've already established that to be a disciple is to be a Christian, then it would logically follow that initially to become a disciple, a person must first respond in repentance and faith to Jesus' call of the gospel. If you look with me at the Gospel of Mark, chapter 1, it'll be on the screen, Mark chapter 1, verses 14 and 15. It says here, After John was arrested, Jesus went to Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God. The time is fulfilled, Jesus says, and the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. And so the first words out of Jesus' mouth in the Gospel of Mark, as he records it, is right here in verse 15. He says, repent and believe the good news. And so an unbeliever becomes a disciple by first repenting of their sins, by, by turning from their life of sin and rebellion against God, by turning from their unbelief and their wrong, unbiblical beliefs, and then by turning to Jesus Christ, believing the good news, believing the gospel, believing that when Jesus died on the cross, that he paid the penalty in full for your sin, and that in rising from the dead on the third day, he is not able to grant us the forgiveness of our sins and the gift of eternal life. And so to become a disciple, you must repent, you must believe receiving Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord, and then having been saved, we then follow Jesus as we've already talked about. Now, we talked earlier about the fact that a true disciple is an obedient disciple. And Cale pointed out that one of the first steps of obedience that we're commanded to take as new disciples of Jesus is to be baptized. If you go just back to the end of Matthew, chapter 28 in the Great Commission, Jesus says there, "'Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them.'" in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. So who's supposed to be baptized here? Disciples, new believers in Christ, baptizing them. On the day of Pentecost, 
3,000 who accepted the message of the gospel were baptized as new believers, as new disciples. And that is the pattern and teaching of the New Testament. And so again, I would remind you that, that Chris is going to be having a meeting uh, next Sunday between services. A meeting if you have questions about baptism and what our church teaches about baptism. I would really encourage you uh, to think about that and to be there if you haven't been baptized as a believer or if you simply have questions. And then, of course, there's a baptismal service on April 24th. So having repented and having believed, again, the new disciple is then to follow Jesus. We see in Mark chapter 1 and verse 16, it says, As he passed alongside the Sea of Galilee, he being Jesus, he saw Simon and Andrew, Simon's brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. Follow me, Jesus told them, and I will make you fish for people. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. Going on a little farther, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat, putting their nets in order. Immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. Now notice that Jesus doesn't say here, well, now that you've believed in me, go ahead and and do whatever you want, and we'll meet on Wednesday night, and we'll meet on Sunday morning. No, he says, follow me, calling them to a life of radical wholehearted devotion to him. And, and, and this, this, uh, um, this call to discipleship is not simply making Jesus a part of our life. I've heard people make that sort of statement. It's not just checking the religious box in your life. It's not just making Jesus a file in your life's portfolio. Rather, Jesus demands first place in everything. He is the preeminent one. He demands first place in everything, including our lives as his disciples. You won't find any other option in the New Testament. There aren't categories of nominal Christians and, you know, radical disciples and things like that. You don't find those categories in the New Testament. He's calling all of us to a life of radical, wholehearted devotion to him. Now again, this radical call is going to look different for each one of us, but it is a radical call, and it is so absolutely worth it. This is where abundant life is to be found in the life of the Christian, in a life of radical, wholehearted commitment in following Jesus in obedience. And so Jesus calls these first four disciples to follow him, and he says, I will make you fish for people, or I'll make you fishers of men. And so he takes these common, everyday fishermen and transforms them into powerful disciple-makers, saving them, teaching them both in word and by example, and eventually filling them with the Holy Spirit, empowering them to do the work the Lord was calling them to do. And what's really cool is that he can do the same thing with us. Common, everyday, 21st century disciples, that's what we all are here, common, everyday, 21st century disciples, he can make you and I into fishers of men and women or disciple makers. And that's the process we want to continue with next fall with our equip course. We'll be talking more about that as time goes along. But the equip course, as the title suggests, has as its goal maturing existing disciples in order to develop them or to develop you into 
disciple makers. And, and so look for that as in the coming months. So whether you're still an unbeliever and have not yet received Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord, and hopefully the Holy Spirit has been speaking to you and convicting you and, and drawing you unto the Son, but whether you're still an unbeliever and have not received Jesus as your Savior and Lord, or you're a believer who has not yet really surrendered yourself completely to Jesus as his disciple, now is the time. Today is the day to plunge in and enter into the greatest adventure that you will ever enter into, the greatest adventure of your life, the adventure of radically following the Lord Jesus Christ as his disciple. A life of abundance and joy and peace and victory and living in the way the Lord has called us to live. Let's close in prayer.